Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you're listening. This is Davisville on KDRTLP 95.7 FM in Davis, California. And you can find us online at kdrt.org slash Davisville. I'm Bill Buchanan. I'm your host. Thank you for tuning in today. Well, here comes another tool that can create automatically what we have previously created, let's say, manually. I'm talking about ChatGPT, and it's a tech tool that can write. It can write reports, articles, poems, essays, and more by using the capacities and connections that are made possible by artificial intelligence, killer databases, and the internet. So, is this a good thing? Is it just another change that technology is bringing to us? Or does ChatGPT reduce the need for people to learn how to think and write coherently? And if it does, what does that mean for us? Andy Jones, a longtime writing instructor and educational technologist at the University of California, Davis, and by the way, a repeat guest on this program, hosts a faculty forum on campus that talks about educational technology. And when ChatGPT was the subject of a recent forum, a lot more faculty than usual showed up. A hundred, in fact. Andy is here today to talk about ChatGPT, as is Margaret Merrill. And I'm glad to say that she can join us. She is a senior instructional design consultant also at UC Davis. When I worked on campus, I was colleagues with both in the Department of Information and Educational Technology. Andy and Margaret, who each have PhDs, by the way, in their fields, they are here with us via Zoom. Margaret and Andy, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Bill. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be back. You know, I, I did look up what chat GPT means. It's such an ungainly phrase. It means chat generative pre-trained transformer. It's one of those lovely tech terms. It just rolls right off the tongue. But anyway, for uh, non-tech people, can you give us a short description of what it is? I do know it's fairly new. OpenAI, that's the research lab in San Francisco, released this prototype in late November 2022, barely two months ago. Yeah, it's a new tool. This version of it is a new tool. Previous versions of it have been released over previous years, and they've released this one for testing with the populace to help them to refine the tool further. And it is, as you said, ChatGPT doesn't really communicate very well what it is and what it does. It's based off of a large language model, which is a thing that I barely know what that term means. But it was basically a computer was fed a lot of text, millions and millions and millions of words of text. That bank of text was taken pre-2022 and the computer was fed all of this text and then was trained with humans and technology to produce sentences, grammatically correct sentences, using patterns that it detects in that text. So it's creating text based on text patterns that it has seen before, which is still kind of difficult to understand and to wrap our minds around what that means. If I may, I'm going to give a potentially very oversimplified analogy. No, um, please, please do. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a computer scientist, so I welcome anybody to fact check me on this. But my understanding is that it's looking for, it, it, it knows patterns and it's looking for patterns and then it's producing text in alignment with patterns that you ask it about. So if we simplify this to color, let's say that this computer was fed a lot of colors. And so it would have been fed 
red, white, and blue from the American flag. It would have been fed red, green, and yellow from a stop sign. It would have been fed black and orange from Halloween time and red and green from Christmas time. So it recognizes in all of the colors that it was fed, there are certain colors that often appear together, right, in these patterns. And so then when you prompt it or ask it a question, let's say you ask it red, and then what it will produce is things that it has previously seen near red. So it will produce green or it will produce white and blue, right? If you feed it red and white, it will produce blue because it knows red, white, and blue go together. But what it doesn't know is what red, white, and blue means. It doesn't know that, is this the American flag? Is this the French flag? So it just is producing content according to patterns that it has seen in the content that it was fed. Does that does that analogy help at all in understanding kind of what this tool does? I think that's right. And if you think about it, when our brains were very young, we did much the same thing. And so the sort of responses that ChatGPT will give to questions, it shows that, as Margaret said, that over the successive versions, it learns what conversation typically sounds like. And therefore, it can, in many cases, pass what's called the Turing test. Imagined in the 1940s or so, that when we're put in a situation where we're conversing with an unseen other, that we're not able to tell whether it's a computer or whether it's an actual human who is responding to our queries. And ChatGPT often does a good job conversationally of providing appropriate responses sometimes or often with regard to fact-based questions, but quite often with regard to the sort of conversational give and take. And this is really what has struck people, that they can ask questions in a, uh, a conversational, interpersonal way and get not only facts, but a semblance of wisdom. You can ask it for advice, for instance, on a variety of topics. And people have done this and have been impressed with many of the responses. I will say that one of the challenges with it when it comes to education in particular is that ChatGPT doesn't, it's not a being that necessarily recognizes the difference between fact and fiction. So for example, if you feed it, I, I saw this in an article as I was reading about ChatGPT the last few weeks, someone asked it, why is Zurich the capital of Switzerland? And ChatGPT produced five reasons why Zurich was the capital of Switzerland. The problem is Zurich is not the capital of Switzerland, Bern is the capital of Switzerland, right? So it's responding in the ways that you're prompting it, but it's not sort of fact checking itself. I did go to Google and say, why is Zurich the capital of Switzerland? And it gave me a link to a Wikipedia article about Zurich, and it proposed some other questions that I might ask related to the capital of yeah. Switzerland, Zurich, and Bern. So ChatGPT doesn't technically know things. It's producing text to match the patterns that it sees from what you asked in the question, but it yeah. can't really be trusted in, in the sense of, of facts. This is fascinating. Just frankly, this is just fascinating. Because listening to the two of you right now, Margaret, from your first answer, I thought, well, you're literally describing something that's mindless, that is stuffed with facts and words and so on. You got to obviously be careful about input. The world's full of different languages and different cultures and different insights. But putting that aside for a minute, you're describing literally something that's mindless, but can accumulate and process a lot of stuff. But then, Andy, I was listening to you, and you were describing it as like an early brain, that that's what we do as infants and children. 
the missing ingredient there is growth. Can chat GPT grow into something more like the human brain that learns after a while, not just because it has so much data that it can search that Zurich is not the capital of Switzerland, but it actually learns to think like a person. That's a hugely profound development. I'd say that it increasingly approximates representing what a thinking person might say in response to a question. I mean, I can think of a very simple example. The first time I sat down with ChatGPT, which was so long ago, it was at the beginning of this month, I asked it about the great playwrights of the 19th century. And it mentioned Chekhov and Ibsen and George Bernard Shaw and Oscar Wilde. These were good answers. And then Arthur Miller. Well, my father knew Arthur Miller and my father did not live in the 19th century. And so I said, ChatGPT, Arthur Miller did not live in the 19th century. And it immediately uh, apologized. I asked the, the same question two weeks ago. Arthur Miller was not in its answer. So it, you know, that's just one tiny bit of fact. But I think as Margaret said earlier, part of the goal here is for all of us to play with this and in doing so, improve the quality of the answers it gives. Every single answer has a thumbs up or a thumbs down button. And so it can get that plus positive and negative feedback, but it also responds you know, with uh, apologies for potentially misinforming us when we call it on something, which I've done on a number of occasions as an educator. I have politely, my wife has told me I don't need to be polite to it, but I've politely reminded it of what is so and, and what is not so. And I think it's learning from that. So how is this different than, say, what uh, Amazon has, you know, these voice computer interfaces? I'm reverting to technological language here, but Siri or Alexa, how, how is this different than that? Well, ChatGPT doesn't speak with an Australian accent. I mean, I know you can set your <laughs> Siri or Alexa to uh, orally speak with a different accent. That's a really interesting question. Andy, do you have, do you have thoughts on that? I do. ChatGPT understands a much wider variety of prompts. Too many times, you know, one of us will be talking to Alexa and she will say, well, do you want me to put something that sounds kind of like what you just said on your shopping list? And we'd have to say, no, you know, I wasn't even talking about shopping, Alexa, cut that out. And ChatGPT will often understand the context of the question and provide uh, appropriate responses, even though they are sometimes factually deficient and requiring of fact-checking, such as what Margaret was saying before. I can give you an example, Bill. And a lot of these conversations involve just people naming example after example of you know funny interactions they've had with ChatGPT. I wondered with my first year seminar on journaling our long walk together, where I take students outdoors to different locations in the city of Davis and on campus and then tell them about them and then have them write about them. I wonder, well, how much does my typical freshman know, for instance, about the UC Davis quad? And if they were to go to ChatGPT, how much would they learn? And they would learn first a, a couple sentences about the history of quads at major universities. 
the names of a few buildings that surround our quad. It got two out of four of those correct. And then it said that the UC Davis quad was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, who also designed Central Park in New York City, and that it's home to the monument to the Pony Express, which was dedicated in the year 1960. And not being familiar with those two quotes facts, I looked that up and discovered that Olmsted actually designed the quad at Stanford University, and that that monument to the Pony Express is found in Carson City, Nevada. And it was, in fact, dedicated in 1960. So it grabbed facts, just facts that were not applicable to the UC Davis quad. It got easily confused. But I, having taught here at UC Davis for 33 years and having spent so much time on the quad, I would immediately know these things. But my students, if they sought to get help with an essay from ChatGPT, would likely not know these things. And so that's one place where this becomes rather problematic from the point of view of instruction of students. Yeah, I think this is a soapbox that I harp on a little bit with my colleagues, so they may all be sick of me saying this. But I think an important distinction to make is that when ChatGPT is producing a response, what it's producing is text, it's not producing information. So it's not technically producing facts. It didn't go looking for facts. It was looking for what are the strings of text that I have seen in my patterns appear in near proximity to these other strings of text that are in the prompt. So it, it's not like it's not intentionally lying about who designed the quad at UC Davis because it isn't technically looking for facts about the quad at UC Davis. It's looking for strings of words and letters that it has previously seen in near proximity to other streams of words and letters that again are related to what was that was asked in the prompt. It does sound like it's closing in though. Andy, to your example, I mean it was citing real things. They just weren't true for Davis. Your Arthur Miller example, wrong at one point, later on not mentioned. That's a form of I don't know that I can use the word sentience here, but it's mimicking sentience. Quick station ID. We're having a fascinating conversation on chat GPT, which is to say artificial intelligence that can write. And we're talking with Margaret Merrill and Andy Jones of UC Davis, both educational technologists with a lot of experience with this subject. Well, I do want to talk about, Andy, you were talking about you know this as instruction. So one way that chat GPT has been getting a lot of attention is people are using it to write things. And this follows in a long line of technological changes of things that have been tools that have been added to instruction. Calculators are a classic example. Slide rules before that. You know, I remember learning how to do long division. And nowadays, I don't think anyone has to do long division unless it's recreational. But the calculator lets you have the benefit of the math calculations. So there's a couple of ways to look at that. One is oh my gosh, we're not learning how to do basic things like long division. And another one is to say, well, that you don't need to know how to do long division. You just need to know how to use the tool to get a reliable answer to help you move knowledge forward. Where does this fall? You know, are you getting students? Are you seeing students turning in stuff written by or assisted with chat GPT? And do you actually are, you know, teaching students, Margaret, you're working with faculty who are instructing directly. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Well, I'm teaching a class on Silicon Valley journalism this quarter, and I introduced ChatGPT as the topic of their first essay. And I can tell with some confidence 
that they did not use ChatGPT to help them write the drafts of these essays. And as I wrote in a different forum, thank goodness for that. Now, like the struggle begins, right? The like realizing our errors and figuring out what difficult choices do I need to make? What investments do I need to make in myself? And all of this is part of what's, you know, what it is to be human. So I commended my students in an odd sort of way for not using this tool that they were actually writing about for their first essay. If I can break in, how did you know they weren't using the tool? Well, that's a good question. Margaret here told me the story of doing so much reading on ChatGPT that at one point she was reading a paragraph of an essay. And what did you discover, Margaret? Well, so many of the articles that I read included samples from ChatGPT and because people were playing around with it to see if it could work for their purposes. And then I was reading this one essay that purported to be from a, a professor and I'm reading it and a red flag went off in my head of like, this sounds remarkably like it was produced by ChatGPT. And I got to the bottom of the short article and sure enough, it said, this essay was produced by ChatGPT. Are you scared yet? Right? Like, so just having read a whole bunch of samples that like, I was able to kind of notice that this was in a similar pattern. It's a pretty bland voice. Like it's the text it produces is, has similar patterns and is similarly kind of bland and a lot of filler words and that kind of thing that that tipped me off. This maybe wasn't written by actually a professor. Absolutely. And when you've been grading student essays for as long as I have, there are just so many markers that will elicit these red flags that Margaret was speaking of. And I could see examples of the sort of struggling with sentence level problems, with organization of essays, with insufficient support for claims made, et cetera, et cetera, that I've seen in essays during my 33 years here. And really, this does not concern me. It reminds me for the need for classes like the ones that I teach and the realization that my young students, that they're going, with my help, they're going to grow dramatically through their efforts over the course of our 10 weeks together. And so all of that is is positive. But if one were to think about what you were saying about the calculator, Bill, it might be that there are certain lower level skills that students will not have to spend as much time on one thinks of spelling right? One thinks of grammar. As an aside, uh, I gave ChatGPT a few sentences from a student essay. And I said, do any of these have uh, comma splices? And it pointed out, and two of them did. And it pointed out in the whole essay, one of them that had a comma splice, but not the other. So I asked it about this other sentence and it said, oh, you're right. Thank you. I'm sorry for the misinformation, right? It used that same phrase that it had on a number of other circumstances. And it's that repetition of odd phrases that a, a ChatGPT has a lot of information that it can call upon. And it uses the same sort of patterns to say, oh, the topic you've asked about might generally be defined as this. Here are five examples of that topic. And at the end, this list is not meant to be exhaustive. And so you just kind of get used to this way that it talks over and over again. And if any of that sort of bland malarkey would be appearing in any of my students' essays, I would draw it to there. Real quickly, could you define comma splice? The term may not be familiar to 
occurs when you've got two independent clauses that are separated with merely a comma. So typically when you have a compound sentence, you've got two independent clauses and a coordinating conjunction with a comma. But if you just throw a comma in there without a coordinating conjunction, likely you have a, a comma splice in between those two independent clauses. This is one of the many fascinating lessons that students can learn in my writing classes and that ChatGPT seems also still to be to be learning. But it is fascinating. I fed in a draft, a rough draft of an essay that a student had submitted about two years ago. And I said, what sort of problems or concerns do you see here? Some of the problems and concerns that ChatGPT noticed were um, entirely valid. When I dialed down to some of the sentence level issues, then it had a few uh, problems with its current iteration. But to go back to the idea of the calculator, it might be that ChatGPT would do a great job of helping students brainstorm ideas for essays. And then they'll have to get to work on those essays and you know, not have ChatGPT write them for them. But just this idea of like a, a whiteboard or maybe a brainstorming software example that like these are some of the functions that we might turn to ChatGPT for in order to give us ideas of what we might write about. Sort of a tip sheet. Exactly. You know, there's a question implicit in this when you were talking about, you know, lower level skills. I suppose part of what happens as people evolve, cultures evolve, learning evolves, is we redefine what a lower level skill is. You know, learning grammar, learning spelling was essential to good comprehension at one point. And you're right, spell check now more or less can catch a lot of things. It can introduce hilarious malaprops, but you know, it works reasonably well. It raises the question of putting together a coherent paragraph. Will that ever become a lower level skill? And if so, what are we gaining by making that a lower level skill? What capacity are we freeing in our minds to do something even more elevated? I have no idea what the answer to that question is, but it intrigues me. One thing that Margaret and I talk about with some of the faculty with whom we consult in the world of instructional design and faculty engagement for academic technology services at UC Davis is this idea of Bloom's taxonomy, that there are certain skills that we learn earlier in our education or in high school or before. Those might be like recall or just knowledge, application, et cetera, et cetera. And then higher order skills would include evaluation or analysis, taking a really big idea and breaking it up into its constituent parts, or synthesis, which is something that I cover in my writing and fine arts classes, that we humans are very adept at, if you know, if we practice this skill of writing poems or symphonies or painting pictures. And AI can dabble increasingly in a number of these skills. But as we've been talking about today, experts can recognize the deficiencies. And one would just imagine that those deficiencies indicate the lack of humanity, if you will, of an artificial intelligence. But if a student, if we're trying to push students towards these higher order thinking skills, and Google provides them the information, and ChatGPT or Grammarly or some other tool 
helps them with the grammar in their sentences that indeed might free up time for them to become more analytical, to understand the qualities of uh, comparison that might make them favor one course of action over another with regard to evaluation, or to create something in an art studio class or a poetry workshop that they are really pleased with because of time and energy being freed up by ChatGPT or other tools. You know, we have just a few minutes left, and I, I want to ask each of you in a minute whether you think this is a good thing or not. But who knows, 50 years from now, maybe a extremely evolved chat GPT avatars of us will be having a conversation trying to evaluate if the higher level thinking skills on display at that point were worth it. <laughs> That'll happen in 10 years, I think, Bill, rather than 50. <laughs> I don't know if that's optimistic or pessimistic, but here's the question I want to ask each of you. And, and Margaret, maybe we'll start with you. Is this a good thing, ChatGPT, the way it is? It clearly has potential to get better and better. Clearly, people are going to find ways to use it that will probably be destructive as well as constructive. Is this a good thing? Gosh, I think I think any technological development has is a is a double-edged sword. You know, we joke about even PowerPoint as a tool. It can be used in really effective ways and it can be used in really ridiculous ways. And I and I my hope for humanity is that we use this particular tool for good and not evil. The company that's, you know, that created Chat GPT, like they have recognized um some of the weaknesses that were revealed by previous versions of their own tool, some of the kind of destructive weaknesses and and are working to to imbue the tool with, if I dare say, a, a, a sense of morality so that it will not kind of do evil. I think rather than considering, is this good? I think best to maybe a, maybe a different question would be, how can I make sure that it's being used for good? And where can I raise my voice and put my vote or whatever it is to make sure that the directions that these things are going are ones that are going to be productive for all of humanity's comfort and peace and fulfilled lives. Can you think of something that you'd be looking at now that would give some sense of something to be aware of, something to watch for? To be to be wary of? Well, I mean, is, uh, you made a, I think your point about chat GPT was, let's not think about whether it's good or bad, but let's keep it on track. And so, you know, you sort of monitor it as it develops, you try to bad away, bad uses, are, are there certain behaviors, certain things that you think would be a sign that we're not using this well? Well, I think, I know Andy is a writing professor, so he would say this much better than I can, but I think writing is, writing in particular is so powerful because of the way we develop our thoughts when we write. And so I think it would, it would be a shame if every newspaper and blog was being produced by chat GPT because it would not be I don't know that it would be pushing thought forward. I don't know that it would be producing original original thought in the way that we that we hope, you know, for the for the for the progression of humanity. I'm using these like massive words here. I mean these like massive ideas here, but I think if if we're still being warned about ChatGPT instead of being kind of taught how not ChatGPT but AI in general. I think if we're still being kind of warned against it rather than being taught how to use it, I think that might be an indication that we're not headed the right direction. Okay. And then Andy, I'm afraid we don't have a lot of time, but I would very much like your answer. Good or or bad and why? 
Right. I agree with Margaret insofar as uh, being aware of the nuances of this particular tool, as well as the importance of writing as a means of identity formation, as a means of better understanding one's moral center. And therefore, even though ChatGPT can provide us with products, the process itself is also crucial for what it means to be a thinking person who cares about intellectual work, creative work, etc. But I think all of us uh, can recognize that that something has changed, you know, as of November 30th, 2022, and that we may be moving into a, a new era. And so as with any tool, there will be positives and negatives, but we're all going to be negotiating new relationships with artificial intelligence in the years to come. All righty. Well, we'll leave it there. Fascinating conversation, Margaret and Andy. Thank you both for, for appearing on Davisville today. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun, Bill. Thank you. Yes. Thanks very much, Bill. It was great. We've been talking with Margaret Merrill. She is a senior instructional design consultant at UC Davis and Andy Jones, writer, poet laureate of Davis, by the way. Emeritus. Emeritus. That's right. The first one, though. And I'm Bill Buchanan. This is Davisville on KDRT 95.7 FM in Davis, California, kdrt.org online. Thank you for listening.